media at SAFM with Ashraf Garda. Exploring every media platform and industry. Only on 104 to 107. You cannot call me, but you certainly can tweet at Ashraf Garda or SAFM Radio. Do use the hashtag media show. And that's the first media show for 2016. Looking at the trends, getting some industry leaders and giving us their thoughts of uh, what they thought 2015 was all about and where 2016 is going to go. So Duncan Irvin is the CEO of Rapid Blue, joint CEO, I understand. And uh, this is what he has to say about a very important sector of the media marketing mix, television. I think that the two sort of biggest trends have been the following, which is that social media and audience engagement with television and shows, and in fact, as a result, producers, really, really exploded. So I think that that has been pretty definitive. And then I think just the massive, big roller coaster of drama that we've seen over the last um, over the last year as well. Um, you know, we, we saw it coming sort of two years ago, three years ago, you know, the sort of resurgence of drama, and, you know, it was really big. When, when you say resurgence of drama, what, what sort of drama? Give me some examples. Actually, in, in terms of television, I mean, like most things, you know, everything's a trend, you know. So over the last sort of eight to ten years, we've seen how reality television has kind of squeezed out a lot of other genres. I mean, including things like sitcoms and things like that, which have almost disappeared mm. to a large extent. Mm. And, and something obviously um, Rapid Blue has been at the forefront of in South Africa anyway, right? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So obviously as a producer, you're trying to, you're trying to track the trends and try and stay ahead of them as much as you can. But in terms of drama, I mean, we're even seeing overseas at the moment that people are starting to talk about the fact, you know, have we created a drama bubble? I mean, there's been so much um, drama produced internationally at the moment that there's almost not enough hours to show it anymore. And South Africa is generally sort of a year or two behind the sort of US and UK from a producing point of view. So I think we've seen some, some interesting drama. If you look at ratings, I mean, drama, local drama is on every broadcaster's top 10 list. So it's, it's really performed really well. Which means it, it works. How does then drama then compare to reality television in terms of ratings? On SBC One, for instance, I mean, you know, the soaps uh, have always been number one on that channel. I mean, I don't mm, think they've mm. almost ever come off. But what you have seen is that um, drama is starting to climb into the top ten in quite a big way, and now probably five of the top ten shows on SBC One is drama. From a reality television point of view, a lot of the shows are still there, and I think that, you know, looking at reality television, the beauty about reality television, particularly the more the, the reality television that has a live television component to it. I don't think that's going anywhere because every broadcaster needs event television. They need something that you've actually got to remember to tune in for because it's live and you have you're involved in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and particularly as you know, as we become more of a multi-channel environment, you know, as we you know, particularly when DTT arrives, having event television is going to be critical to a broadcaster. And explain uh, what, what that means when you say event television. That, that means what? So event television, I mean, that, that, that is a phrase kind of almost comes more out of sport than anything else. And if you think what sport does, you, you know, the beauty with sport is that, you know, to watch a, a football game even the day after it's been played just isn't the same as watching it live. So what event television is is generally live television or something that, that is a one-off that is going to happen at a particular time and date. And so it becomes appointment viewing. So what's really great about that is that people remember to tune in, and as a result, they remember what channel it's on, and it's a big deal, and it gives the broadcaster an opportunity as well to build 
promotion and marketing around that and to be able to draw an audience back into their channel. And then the trick is to hang on to that audience because it's a, you know, it's a brutally competitive space. More, more so now because of the point you made, there's, there's, a, there's a glut of choice and there'll be even more so with, with DTT, right? Absolutely. You know, mm. without a shadow of a doubt. Mm. You, know. you, you made a point about, you know, power to engage audiences versus social media. Explain how that plays through in, in the television industry. You know, as a producer, uh, I mean, with every single one of the shows that we make, I mean, we track across all of social media in the run-up to our show, even while the show is busy being broadcast, we, we, we are tracking what, how people are engaging with it, what they think about it. And as a result, to a large extent, we would even start evaluating how successful our show is based on the amount of people that are coming in and, and tracking and engaging with it and actually talking so, about it. So are, are you saying that, that social media and that engagement, you know, off the air, but, but by watching, would be a major barometer of whether a show is successful or not versus actual sort of eyes on the TV screen? You know, I mean, where I'm at at the moment, I actually give them equal weighting right now, which, you know, two years ago I most certainly wouldn't have. And I think it's two things. One is, I think, you know, we all kind of feel that the sample size of audience ratings is relatively small. So sometimes you, you get relatively big swings in your ratings. But that is a very definitive measure. Mm, so mm, we're not mm. ever going to get away from that. But on, okay. on the social media side of things, particularly when you've got sponsors involved and brands involved in your show, you know, the fact that you're getting, you know, thousands of people all talking about the program um, and engaging with the program is very valuable to a brand. Yeah. I suppose that means that from, from a brand, especially in advertiser funded shows, yes, that, that brands then would, uh, would, would not just even want to sponsor in terms of uh, actual adverts or product placement, say, within a show, but would they then make allowance in terms of additional advertising, uh, let's say, around, around social media platforms? Yes, without a shadow of a doubt, absolutely. And it gives them the opportunity, you know, in terms of if you're following a particular thread of a conversation around your show, if it creates an opportunity for you to be able to engage with a conversation that can link into your brand in a sort of authentic way, it's a brilliant way for a brand to be able to then hook into a conversation, you know, which is very powerful. Mm. I'm interested in and actually concerned about this next point, the acceptance of lower quality productions. Goodness, what does that mean? <laughs> so I think, look, I think it's two things. The one is that the reality around television is quite simply this, is that all of television is paid for by broadcasters. Broadcasters, almost all of their revenue um, comes from advertisers, you know, and advertisers' budgets are managed by how, you know, what the economy looks like and, um, and, and how we're doing as a country. And so fundamentally, you know, if you cascade that all the way down, I mean, this last year has been a, a relatively sort of neutral year. I think a lot of people are forecasting that next year might be a similar kind of year, that things might be cooling off a little bit. And as a result, that knock-on effect into production budgets is a reality. So let's just park that as one side of the equation, just saying the availability of budgets. And some of this is very much in the in, in some of the, the lower-cost drama area, um, where you're getting uh, where you're getting drama that is made at a very at a very low cost, but it is it's acceptable and it is and it is generating an audience, and as a result, people are tuning in, and as a, as a result, broadcasters are going to want to make more of that. The 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 advent of DTT, how is that going to change things? I mean, I've certainly been tracking this internationally, um, and and more recently, I've been tracking it sort of across Africa because I mean. There are a number of African countries that uh, have switched over to DTT in the last sort of year or year and a half. 
So two interesting things that I've noticed, you know, in Africa is that broadcasters that are independently very well funded, so either they're owned by an incredibly wealthy individual or whatever it is, are channels that are doing very, very well and are racing up the charts and are getting into the top one or two most watched channels in that territory. The flip side of it, though, and going back to my equation just around how much advertising money there is, that pot isn't growing. So you might get a lot more channels, but if they're all reliant on, you know, if, if their business plan is reliant on, on advertiser funding and people advertising on their channels, there's going to be either a large degree of cannibalism, which means that your existing channels, all your SBC channels, your ETV channels, your MNET channels, are all going to get less advertising because more of this is going to flow into DTT. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or they better have funding that's going to, you know, keep them alive for at least the next five to six years. But, but, but also the, the other part is that the audience, the, the overall audience, uh, let's say weekly audience uh, on television can't grow, really speaking, isn't it? Which actually means they'll be, it, it's going to be spread thinner across all the channels. Absolutely. Yeah. Without but, a shadow of and that, implications yeah. of that? Well, the implications of that is that from a media point of view, you know, the, the analysis of what is a successful show is going to change. Firstly, but secondly, if you get, for instance, an SABC one, let's take them because they're the biggest channel with the biggest audience, if they manage to hang on to their numbers, it means that the, some of the new DVD channels are going to be coasting along at sort of 50,000 to 100,000 viewers, which is not financially sustainable. Media at SAFM with Ashraf Garda. Exploring every media platform and industry. Only on 104 to 107. The trouble is everybody blames things on digital. Whether they're really blaming them, I don't know. The fact is digital clearly is making a massive difference in terms of... And it's certainly changed just about everything uh, has impacted with regard to media marketing and just about everything else, I would think. So I chatted to Herman Dagenauer about that. He's the digital services director for the agency Avatar. And again, we looked at starting first with 2015 and then moving on to 2016. For me, there's there's been, um, you know, two two big shifts in digital in the last 12 months. Um, you know, recently the IAB, an effective measure, uh, produced um, a bit of a snapshot of what the online picture looks like for South Africa. And it's, uh, it's, quite, it's quite staggering. Um, you know, it starts to, to squash a lot of misperceptions. Um, there's, there's, according to, to IAB, an effective measure, there were 35.5 million uh, online users uh, which, if you you know compare that against the population, that's that's 66 percent. So yeah. wow. we're really seeing a massive uh, adoption of online amongst um, amongst consumers, uh, among, well, amongst the the general population. And I think a lot of that's driven by the fact that you know um, the the barriers to entry are coming down fast. You know, so we've we've always seen that. You know, smartphone penetration, for example, starts to outsell feature phones. Mm. But mm. there's always been that that challenge through connectivity. Um, but now, Absolutely. and and you know, Africa is not the mother of innovation for nothing. Um, consumers are, are finding interesting ways to get online, and but also the, the you know the marketers and and organisations, um, even the likes of Facebook, you know, launching satellites, uh, you know, through internet.org you know, to give more connectivity to Africans is is helping those barriers to come down. Okay, fast. so now that we know that, we know that 60% yeah. of the of the population is engaging in some way or the other online. I mean, that that's a frighteningly exciting statistic, right? Yeah. How does that then play out, let's say in 2015, in terms of, of the marketing space? 
Well, I think, you know, once again, it's, it comes back to just because I've got a phone doesn't mean that I can experience all the great richness of, of apps and, you know, websites and so forth. And, and those, those, those challenges are still very real because, you know, of that 35 million, 23 million were, were from mobile. You know, mm-hmm. So that represents, you know, quite a start, large percentage of people that are, that actually only access the internet through mobile. So, in order for a brand to deliver a, a relevant experience, they've got to be mobile first. Um, you know, and and I think that also what's an interesting statistic out of the research from IAB and Effective Measure is that you know, 55% of that uh, online demographic is is between the age of 20 and 39. You know, um, with the with the the large majority of that coming from the 20 to 29, you know, uh, age group. And mm. what that implies is that these guys and girls are very hungry for, for digital content and they don't want to be restrained by by connectivity issues. So they're getting online at shopping malls, you know, taxi ranks, and now some taxis even offer Wi-Fi. You know, we're coming a very, becoming a very connected society. And, you know, it just speaks to the video consumption space as well. And I think that's where a lot of, you know, to kind of answer your question, I think a lot of brands um, are starting to, they've always wanted to deliver a great video experience, but mm. they recognize the, the consumer doesn't always have access. So, you know, the likes of YouTube, for example, have actually reported that in Africa, they've, they've seen 70% year-on-year growth in video demand and consumption. So what they've recently done is introduce a save for later feature. So, you know, people that are, are in Kenya, Nigeria, Ghana, Af- South Africa, um, they can watch a YouTube video when they're, say, at the office or, you know, in a connected environment like a shopping mall, and they can save it on their phone and mm, um, mm, show mm. people back home, you know, when they get to areas where they, where they don't have that connectivity. So, you know, it's awesome that, that the likes of your Facebooks and, and YouTube, which are obviously global brands, are, are recognizing those challenges and helping us overcome them. Mm. Okay, that, that's quite fascinating because I suppose the question then is that from, from a marketing point of view, our market is latching on to that. So one is the, the access. Uh, and I mean, you're right. I mean, yesterday I received a, a 30-minute video clip from someone saying, please check on this uh, great lessons uh, from Steve Jobs, for example, and naturally expecting me to just switch on, not switch on the TV setting, just, just watch it. So a lot of market is now aware of the shifts. I would think they are, but, but how are they then applying those shifts in terms of their own businesses and brands? They, they, you know, I think the 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 short answer is that many are struggling. You know, thirty minute video, case in point. Who, who's got time for thirty mm-hmm. minutes of video? Yeah. You know, let alone connectivity. Um, we're probably the fortunate few that could do that. You know, but for most brands, um, you know, it, it kind of does segue a bit into one of my sort of um, topics that I that I wanted to touch on for twenty sixteen, and that mm-hmm. is how brands. Um, Getting into that consumer journey, which is being more and more fragmented, and, and in fact, Google have recently been, you know, pushing some research that uh, around a topic which they call micro moments, okay, um, and yeah. they're basically mm-hmm. saying that you know the new battleground for many brands is these are these micro moments. Um, and know, what, what does that mean? Okay, so so essentially, it's it's um, any anywhere be, anywhere in that consumer journey, um, from consideration to research to actual purchase, there are thousands of of, of micro moments. Um, but what you, what Google's done is they've basically um, broken them down into four categories, uh, which are I want to watch, I want to know, I want to do, I want to buy. Now, where this all ties back to video is that video is the easiest way to convey a lot of information in a short space of time, and, it, and, and you can layer emotion into it, mm, um, mm, which is awesome. Mm. You know, so that can often drive people to act on a on on something they've done. So it really does put the the, the you know it's always been um, up to the brand 
to to make sure that they create a relevant and and, and entertaining experience. But it's always been quite difficult to do that through sort of um, you know monologue platforms um, and even those digital platforms that don't allow you to convey that 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 uh, that message in a way that that would help people make a, a quicker and more informed decision. So where this uh, this this all comes back to video, as I say, is because if I go online, you know, essentially people are carrying a, a computer in their pocket nowadays. Um, you know, mm. they they can find out anything they want to know right then, and they're doing that. You know, so. If you're not, um, as a brand, making sure that you're present and correct uh, in 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 an online space, um, well, then consumers just, you know, they're, they're sort of new way of voting, I guess, is just swipe left. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You move on. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so it's it's it's. I think there's 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 a lot of focus still on brands to to understand it, but but that's uh, but that's part of the, the the growth, I guess, for both brand and consumer. But I think consumers are leading that charge. Okay, well, because you also touched on a phrase earlier called sentiment and analysis tools. Right? What, what does that mean? Explain how that works out. This is for me probably quite a, an important part of um, strategy for any social media brand um, or brand wanting to be online. And a lot of the time, social media is online, and online is social media. So, but sentiment is is measured by an online reputation management tool. Um, and you know, in, in preparation for this, I, I asked my friends over at um, Brandzai. Sure mm, not mm, to mention, but mm. they they're uh, you know a crowd that have been doing this for some time. They're South African organization, and and I think that they're doing some amazing work. And one of the things that I, I asked them was, you know, what is it that is is making brands recognize the value in understanding sentiment? And they gave us a couple of points, but it's essentially, it really allows you to listen to online conversations and identify what those positive and negative drivers are behind not just your brand, but mm, your competitors mm. and the industry as a whole. Uh, if you take FMCG, for example, uh, you could look at a, a brand that's in the confectionery space and perhaps they want to launch a new product. They could do a lot of uh, good to their strategy, um, you know, their go-to-market strategy by listening to what people are talking about because Let's face it, the, re- the majority of our population is under the age of 30, right? And and it's it's an in, it's a natural behavior for these um, for these you know for this cohort, if you mm, like, the Gen mm, X mm, the, mm, or the Gen Y, should I say, yeah, millennial yeah, cohort, yeah, you know, to yeah. go online and 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 not just talk about stuff, but also use the information they're reading that other people have said to inform their decision. And I think um, that a lot of the time is then going to inform whether they make or break on their decision to buy. And if sentiment is positive, you know, obviously it's it's it's, it's going to help mm. move people mm. further down the, the conversion funnel. Um, if sentiment is is neutral or negative, well, you know, that's an opportunity for a brand to get into that space and start to to build relationships, seed content, do whatever they can to help people feel more positive about either the category, so that if they enter the market, they already know that there's people that are there's an appetite for what mm. they're going to mm. they're going to market. Um, but I mean, the reality is, is you know, sentiment affects PR. Uh, it affects marketing, CRM, client service, market research. Absolutely. Um, mm. It's it's like having an always-on focus group. You know, I always tell my clients, it's like, and, and the best part about it is, it's the most brutal, honest, organic feedback you'll ever get. Because you know, a lot of the time, people are not being asked a question; they're volunteering that information. So Absolutely. you know, you're getting the. But what about misinterpretation? Sure. You know, in, in terms of like. 
you know, social media postings, whether yeah. it's individual or whether it's brand. Yeah, it, I think, you know, you, you touch on an insignificant point of, of online reputation management or, or, or social listening, as, as we call it, um, or as it's known. That is accuracy of, of the data. You know, and a lot of the time people will talk about something and they could be saying, you know, I'm so uh, tired of standing in this, you know, queue for a particular airline that sounds like mm, a fruit. Mm, mm, mm. And, um, you know, you, you, your tool could be listening to that, your listening tool, and yeah. then it's now got to determine are they talking about the fruit or are they talking about the airline? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, something uh, maybe not so close to home, Apple. You know, mm, we're talking mm. about Apple the fruit, Apple exactly. the brand. Mm. There's also vernacular, there's slang, there's all sorts of things that help skew or contribute to skewing the, the insights. So it's very important that there's some form of, um, you know, especially when brands and their agencies are listening to social commentary, um, that they've put in a bunch of filters to make sure that there's relevance as far as possible. Um, and then what these guys that I spoke about before do is they actually layer in a human crowd verification as well. So, you know, what happens is if the artificial intelligence can't determine uh, the sentiment, mm-hmm. it actually goes to human verification. Um, and it's actually a, it's a, it's a global ORM challenge. You know, most ORM tools, you know, social listening tools, only give you about, on average, 65% accuracy because okay. of things like local vernacular and mm, slang and stuff. Mm, mm, mm. So when you've got human uh, verification coming in and also sort of, okay, now we're talking about Apple, the brand, you know, it's not relevant to you. Or they, they, they would know that, yeah, then of course. Then yeah. it takes accuracy for, to like 80, 85%. And the more ac- accurate your, in, your insight, yeah, the better your strategy is going to be. Mm. So okay, critical. so so are there brands, in in your opinion, uh, based upon all the things we've said so far, that have uh, that have hit the mark, the bullseye in 2015? Uh, well, let's talk about that first. Now, look at 2016 in terms of what you expect. Yeah, one of our clients is, is Fox International, and and uh, uh, you mentioned I can mention names, and and you know when we when we've used social listening for them, we've been able to identify conversations and um, particular either attractors or detractors towards the category so for example publishing TV publishing um, we're looking at engaging people that you know especially whilst they're online and they're uh, watch the, whilst they're watching TV they might, a lot of them are online as well how do we use social listening tools to pick up on conversations that are relevant and and seed content that ultimately adds to that overall experience and what we've been able to do is see a lot of uh, benefits to the clients in terms of tune-in for their various programs, you know, when we start to compa- uh, compare campaigns versus past campaigns. Mm-hmm. The difference being the, the, the latter had the social listening involved, the, the former didn't. Um, so it, it works as part of an overall, you know, um, contributes to the overall strategy, I think. Further afield, I, I'm aware of um, how this RM company helped Sky Broadcasting uh, recognize some of the uh, sentiment uh, or the, 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 the things and the things people are saying online that helped fuel churn you know in mm, their industry mm, mm. and were able to you know reverse a lot of that because the more accurate that social listening is the more predictive you can get as well and more you know accurately you can predict how people might react if you were to do you know change your strategy absolutely you know, from 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 that direction to the other direction but I still think that you know that's why especially Going forward into 2016, I think a lot of brands start to, you know, recognize and, and really, honestly, I mean, there's a lot of the lip service that gets paid to, you know, how brands have lost power and the consumer has all the power now yes, and so forth. Yes, indeed. But it, it's, it's the reality. 
You know, I, in your in your pocket, you've got access to the world's information at your fingertips. Um, you but does that mean more marketing to them or, or not? It means changing the way you change your marketing, I guess, because you, a lot of the time it's the same shouting, you know, with a different megaphone. You have to recognize that in order to be accepted by people nowadays, you can't always be selling. There has to be some form of, you know, utility or need solving. And the brands that are doing that are, and, and getting it right are the ones that ultimately are winning the fight at the end of the day. Because consumers, you know, mm. we, none yeah. of us really need to be sold to anymore. We and and are, there, are there any like that you can mention very quickly? Two or three of them, maybe they are? They are. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I, I, I believe that from a domestic point of view, I think that some of the airline brands that uh, have struggled in the past are starting to, to, to see the, the, the fruits of their labor when it comes to, you know, really sort of actively engaging uh, consumers online. You know, I don't think it's significant to one brand. I think that the majority, especially the low-cost mm, airlines, mm, have recognized mm, that mm. the quicker they can uh, respond and appease people and, and provide service, you know, through utility, the more people will want to use them. And it's obviously a very competitive segment. Um and yeah, I think that you know, at the end of the day, it's it's difficult to 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 sort of nail it down to one particular brand. But I think from an industry point of view, um, you know, it's 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 insurance. It's uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's. I mean, even you know, if you look at the likes of uh, utility service providers like Joburg Water, for example, it's great to see how active they are on social. Absolutely. And, just that, yeah. um, I think, you know, my one little bit of advice to them, maybe just you know, be a little bit more helpful in terms of how people can, you know, practically save water. But I think at the end of the day, it's because you know, obviously it's a topical issue at the moment. But it's, yeah, it's good to see, for example, if you go on, there's, even yesterday, you know, I, I saw that they were actively, you know, engaging with people. <laughs> and Indeed. So. Okay. Any, any final thoughts? Okay, so I think that, you know, the last thing that I'd, I'd like to suggest to, to marketers for 2016, um, or in, where I think maybe a, a trend might move, is, is how they're getting consumers to respond to marketing messages. And um, so I did some research around this, and I found a nice article that basically uh, explained, um, you know, why search is, is actually mm, the best call mm, to action mm. for brands. Um, you know, and, 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 and some brands might go, but yeah, why do I want to send people to Google when I could be sending them to my website? Absolutely. Um, mm -hmm. but the, but the thing is this, cause it speaks to that thing about consumers being in control. And, you know, for them, it's quicker. It's a natural behavior. If I hear about something, I would whip mm. out my phone and type in. So how, how do they then do that? Yeah. So basically what we're saying to brands now is, you know, instead of trying to put complicated URLs or phone numbers and things like that at the end of your advertising, just say search for okay you know yeah, yeah. and we're seeing this happening in the UK a lot now I mean I even saw a video example of uh, a TV ad that, that I saw it on YouTube for um you uh, for the for the army in the UK um, so it's a very emotive ad um, you know it's all about you know driving people to sign up but at the end of it it's not visit you know the army.co.uk or whatever it's search army or search XYZ. And would that, would that be like part of a deal with Google or not? No, 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 not at all. No. I mean, ultimately, Google probably benefits anyway because they are the, you know, it's probably safe to say the largest search engine. Um, so, you know, when when brands, um, you know, start to deploy a tactic like that, then they would want to probably put some marketing budget behind various search terms to make sure that they're, you know, on the first page and, and so forth. But it it all comes back to making sure as a brand that, you know, if you if you're 
providing good and, and, and honest service to, to people, then people will talk about you in a positive way, which ultimately leads to organic search results being higher. People trust organic overpaid most yeah, of the time anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think at the end of the day, it's really it's, it's, it's about fitting in with what the way the consumer is basically, you know, they're almost like the conductor and, and brands are the orchestra.